Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. back with another episode. Today I have a very special guest, but I want to tell you what we're going to be talking about first because I want to scare you all a little bit. There are some things coming down the cyber pike that I think we need to worry about. And one topic that I have not brought into Nobody Told Me That is the whole thing about security with computers. And it's long overdue, especially because so many of you call me with questions about having people work from home about using outsourced companies. And then last night I was reading that there is a thing out there called Log Shell 4 that's going to affect dental offices. It's going to affect everybody, but it's going to affect dental offices. And so the timing was divine because I had asked my friend Dan DeSteno from Nova Computer Solutions to come onto the podcast. And what's really fun is when I ask someone who I've known for a gazillion years to come on the podcast and we're kind of like, why didn't we do this sooner? And so finally we put it into play. So welcome to the podcast, Dan. Hey, well, thank you very much. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity to spend this time with you. Oh, it is going to be fun because I have so many questions for you. This is going to be me peppering you with questions. When Dan and I used to have lunch and when we used to go over things for my office because he was the IT guy for our office and I'm going to go over why IT guy is not even accurate anymore. All I would do is just like, like throw bullet question after bullet question at him and this poor guy had to answer all of them with a smile on his face because I wanted what was best for our office. Do you remember those when I used to grill you with those questions? You know I was there just for the free meal. But yes, <laughs> I, I, I do absolutely remember the fun times. I was a tough cookie. So Dan, let's talk about what's going on in the security world because you are not my IT guy. You are my managed service provider. MSP. And that's something that I think us office managers and people new to the industry need to realize that IT has evolved into being a managed service provider situation. And that's what we really need to call them because it's not just coming and checking the office. What's going on in the world of of managed service providers? What are you hearing is like the big issue that's coming down the pike besides this log shell thing? For dental practices, it's uh, it's really pivoting here on the the aftermath of COVID and maybe shoring up some of the areas that were implemented during that time just to keep your business openings. Uh, so, for instance, maybe going back and verifying that your remote users and their setup are secure and appropriate for for what it should be today. Uh, we find that a lot of offices that had users start working from home, they were working on that team member's own computer. And that's a huge vulnerability to a practice, especially a practice that has, you know, health uh, information and and privacy act information in it. So you want to make sure that if you are going to have a team member work from home, you want them to work from home on a device that you've provided. 
that you know that is being maintained by your, your MSP. So it has antivirus software on it, it's being monitored, it has the latest updates. And when an issue like this log4j uh, issue that, that's affecting Java that just came out, your MSP can ensure that whatever updates that are required to protect that system, because ultimately it's a part of your overall business network, that can be done. And you don't have that control when your, your front desk team member is at home using the same computer that her 15-year-old son's using, that her husband's using. No, you're absolutely right. I've had so many people who have told me that they would work from home, they would log into the computer using whatever, it was their computer, and then they'd walk away, not realize that in the meantime, their daughter, son, whatever, was using the computer at the same time. And it's not just a HIPAA risk, which you brought in the patient records, right? But the cybersecurity risk, the the ransomware, the viruses, I mean, you and I have texted back and forth on these huge ransomware cases that have been going on. And has that slowed down? Has that sped up? What's going on with ransomware in the industry? Just turn the news on and you could see that it's it's a snowball that's picked up a lot of speed that's rolling down the hill. Everybody's getting hit from governments to large petroleum companies to hospital systems. No one is immune to this, but if you if you don't take it seriously and you're not putting those those protections in place, not only are you immune, but you're really, really very susceptible. Putting just some even general uh, security measures in place will help build a bit of a, uh, of a firewall, if you will, between all the evils of the internet and your patient data. So if somebody has been doing regular backups, then safe to say that you could clean their system and then get them back up to speed. But how many cases have you been involved with where the, the backup either didn't exist or it was not current? I mean, does that happen still? It, it happens all the time. Uh, I can think of, of an environment uh, situation that happened not too long ago where the local backup and the cloud backup were compromised uh, due to not having good permissions and, and good credentials to access e in each one individually. And it's not really the, the backup. When you have a, a compromise, you really have to start over in a lot of ways to ensure that any threats that are left over. So, for example, if your network is compromised and you identify that there was a threat, other threats could, backdoors could be left. So we don't recommend, oh, we identified this threat, we removed it. The best practice is to wipe the entire server, reload the operating system, put all the data back. It's very, very intrusive and, and, and a lot of work to do, but that's one of the only ways to ensure that any backdoors that were left are gone. Because what we found is when that backdoor is left, it's set to reauthorize itself, let's say three months down the road. So we've cleaned you up, we've got you back up and running. Two months later, the threat starts all over again and you're back to square one. This is super insidious. So they have it timed. I I didn't know this. This is like stunning because like, so like three months later, I've reinstalled everything and I think everything's cool. And there it is again. Is that just for giggles that they do that? Or they're asking for serious money? I mean, at that point, 
when it's reauthorized, are they still in touch with you? And like, hey, hey, I got this, you know, notification from my people that your back door is open. How about another $10,000 or something? Is that what happens? This is all about the money. That's all this is. And a lot of it is, is also crypto mining. And that's part of what this, this recent vulnerability they found is that once that's in, then they can uh, remotely steal your data. They can re they can install malware and they can tr take control of your PC and they can do crypto mining uh, with your PC. Uh, and if you have a lot of PCs doing that, you're eventually going to generate you know, cryptocurrency. Wow. So, okay. So I don't want to get into the cryptocurrency too much because that's a whole different rabbit hole, right? It but is. I have a little bit of familiarity with this because I was told that if you find your computer resources burning up, running hot for no reason at all, you might be having something going on there. And it happened around a time where you know, I'm an MMA fan, so I was a member of the UFE, UFC's whatever membership at that point, and it was alleged that they were using computers for the mining. So the mining is they use your computer resources to do stuff, and I don't want to get into that, but they do stuff, and I was like, this is probably why this is happening, and we did put in a whole bunch of things. I don't know for sure that that was happening, but it was really... Like, it was really stunning how differently my computer was acting. And once I stopped that membership and erased everything from there, and we did, Norman did a whole bunch of stuff. My IT guy, right? <laughs> he did a whole bunch of stuff. And then I was like, this is weird. I think there was some crypto mining going on. And that was years and years ago. But so this is still something I imagine that they become even more stealthy maybe it's not as noticeable how many resources they're taking up is that has that evolved where it's not so noticeable no i think you're you're, you're still going to notice um there are just from even a couple of years ago there's thousands or tens of thousands of different style threats that are used for different purposes whether again it's to steal keystrokes or to steal banking information if there are there are uh, vulnerabilities and and uh, viruses and ransomware that are designed for all types of different different things, and it's all about revenue. What's the biggest ransom amount you've had to deal with? Uh, I would say that they were demanding sixty five thousand dollars for a server's database. Ay ay ay! And it's it's really a double edged sword. If if you're in a situation where you haven't taken the, the, the precautions to ensure that you have encrypted backups on site and, and remotely to ensure that you don't have network security appliances. If you haven't taken those, you really may be in a situation where that's your only option. But what that does is that it, it empowers that whatever group that, that's attacked you, they've generated the money they need and now they can use that to attack more people. So the FBI is going to always tell you, do not pay the ransom. But you know, if, if you haven't protected yourself and it's your only option, then pay the ransom. We haven't been in a situation where the ransom's been paid and they haven't gotten the vast majority of their data back. Mm. If, they, if they did that switcheroo there at the end and they're not going to give you your money back, they're going to lose all credibility on getting the next, next person to, to pay the ransom. So I haven't seen that but you really want to make sure that you have those policies and, and procedures and, and safeguards in place 
so that it doesn't fall down to that last option. Wow. I can see where the services you've offered, really, it is managed service providing, uh, providing managed services. Because when I started years ago with my boss, uh, who you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know really well, it was, I think, 95 or 93 when I started working with him. It's been a long time. We would be able to switch out our own RAM. We would be able to connect our monitors. We would be able to run our own backups on floppy drives. And then we moved to a detachable server and all this stuff. And we would call when things went wrong. So something that we talked about in the pregame was it's moved from reactive to proactive. And I think that there's still a lot of mindset, especially among managers of my tender age, who have grown up like doing things and being able to fix things and being used to like kind of handling that IT section of it. And now I can't even imagine having to worry about ransomware and this this shell thing that we were just talking about i can't even imagine having to be on top of that plus everything now that we use in the dental office comes with software so like your cbct your 3ds your everything and you were telling me about something really cool that came about with covid where we don't have to touch patients you know at the front i I don't want to touch a patient if i don't have to i mean that's just kind of like rule number one right So you were telling me about how offices were installing thermal cameras so that they wouldn't have to necessarily scan the patient. You still get calls about that. Like you're still installing these with offices. Can you walk us through what a thermal camera does? Yeah, a camera is very similar to any other security camera that you would have at your house or or at the office where it's going to uh, capture a, a point of view or focal view but it's reading the temperature of the subject or the, the item that's, that's there. And if it detects a temperature above what you want it to be, it's going to notify you that, that this you know, individual should you know, have additional further review or further screening to ensure that maybe they don't have a, a fever. And maybe this isn't the early signs of you know, COVID or something like that. And so we've gotten a lot of calls because of just that, having to go out uh, outside, a lot of our offices are still, you call when you get to the office and a team member will come out, take your temperature, ask you your, your qualifying questions, and then can bring you in. And you don't sit in the reception area at all. You're, going, you're brought right back to the chair. So this has been where they're trying to get away from that, where we can still have an overall screening of our patients, but we're, we don't have to be invasive and actually take a temperature of our patient unless that individual patient throws a flag, if you will. You'll see them on the screen and if they like are glowing. <laughs> so it's like watching yes. a CCTV, right? So if they're glowing, then you're like, hey, that person is running hot. Hopefully it's not someone of my age that's like having a flash or something, right? Because then that's <laughs> awkward. So if it turns out to be, <laughs> if it turns out to be red, then you can say that you will use the thermostat, the, the one on the forehead, and that's a better way of handling it than everybody. everybody. You don't have to get up and do everybody because that really is a pain. I mean, we're already short staffed and now we got to screen everybody that comes in. That makes sense. Yes. And there, there's also more um, documentation if you ever needed that in the future on which patients maybe were showing symptoms or, or did have a fever at the time. Again, in medical environments, when you're not going to have the ability to wear a mask, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think uh, you know, ensuring that uh, a patient really doesn't have any symptoms 
is just a, a prudent decision, not only for the patient, but for your team, for the practice overall. And I think we need to get back to having patients in the office, in the waiting room. I was just having lunch with some uh, other practice manager friends of mine, and a lot of offices are using COVID as an excuse not to let people back in the waiting room. And dude, I get it because patients can be a pain in the waiting room and you get so much work done. You can joke around that they're not in the waiting room. But I think we forget that we're providing a customer service and most patients like to come in. They like to just get there ahead of time. Some people have a comfort level. They have to be there beforehand instead of just being right on time. And maybe somebody doesn't want to sit in their car and they just want to come in. I think we need to get back to that, but I know a lot of offices are like, no, no, I love it. I don't want him in the waiting room. I mean, I get it, but I don't know. Has this affected you where you have to call before you go into an office now? We do. Even uh, some of our team were out delivering Christmas cakes and and treats uh, yesterday, and we're calling just to ensure that they're comfortable with with us coming in and and delivering some of those things. So yes, we are impacted uh, by that uh, quite a bit, actually. And you're like, hey, if you had a thermal camera, you could just be comfortable. (laughs) You'll know without, yeah, without getting even close to me, you'll know that I don't have a fever. (laughs) So I kind of got off track as usual. And let's go back to the log shell, log four shell or log four J, as you called it too. So I was reading about it as log four shell and J. So what am I talking about? What is, what the heck is this log four thing? And I asked you, does dentistry have to worry about it? And you were like, uh, duh, everybody has to worry about it. So let's talk about that because it's not going to just affect us. It's going to affect like the Minecrafters. What are the Minecrafters going to do? <laughs> and my son, like when we talked about it, he was like, well, what does this mean for Xbox? And I'm like, ah, oh, priorities. So tell me, tell me what this means for the world. <laughs> and, and this really is a big issue. It's, uh, it affects a software called Java made by a company called Apache. And Java is an add-on that, that attaches to a lot of software. And what it does is it captures really what activity and or behavior that you're doing in a certain application. So if you're online, it may be capturing what websites you're going to, what items you're clicking on based on that website, what they want to capture for the users that are using their, their website. Similar to cookies? Similar to cookies. Okay. But cookies are going to be more towards a specific device where this is will help with if you, let's say, were out on the Williams and Sonoma website and you were looking for new pots and pans. And then you went out to another website. You went to CNN.com. And all of a sudden, you see a little banner over here for uh, you know, brass pots and pans or you know, whatever the case may be. That's a part of this as well. Corporations use this to to track what their employees are doing, where they're going as well. And so anytime, if you go out to the internet and you are proactively searching and, and asking for traffic, then you can pretty much assume that that's part of job and it's being recorded. Uh, if you go out to the internet, you just go to one website and, and that website's there all day and you don't click on anything, then there's really nothing being recorded for this. A lot of the Amazon and a lot of the big players are, are providing fixes. There is a, a fix out there for it. And if you are working with an MSP, they should have at least a scanner. Uh, we're scanning all of our clients' computers today, all of our networks, to identify any software that has this vulnerability. 
And if they have the vulnerability, we'll do the updates. Uh, so if you get, if you're working with an MSP, they should be out there scanning it. And until you have that, I would say, you know, try not to go online. And this is not only your Windows computer, this is your Apple iPhone. This is anything that uses Java and thousands of applications use Java. So it's pretty ubiquitous. I mean, it's not, it's not like if you just go to the Delta Dental website by itself, it's, I mean, it's everywhere. So even just a web browser is going to track, right? It absolutely will. So we're screwed, Dan, unless we block this using the patch. But is this going to, is this something that you think they're going to catch in time or already has it been exploited? It's already been exploited? It's already been exploited from what my understanding. And, and there, I'm sure there's much more accurate information is going to come out in time. But right now, it's my understanding that this has been out for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. It's my understanding that there were uh, some uh, Chinese firms that were kind of behind this. And updating to the latest version of Java is is going to resolve that vulnerability. But just like this vulnerability, there are there's going to be the, the Teresa vulnerability next week. Oh, you're darn right about that. The Godzilla the following <laughs> week. You know, it's going to be all different. Uh, it's, this is just one of them. Okay, so they'll patch it. They'll end up working around it because they have like farms of computer people just doing nothing but this. I mean, if you read anything about the role of China and other countries, and let's face it, it's Asian countries, you know, India, China, uh, Pakistan, all, I mean, all everywhere out there, they are known for just sitting and plugging away and doing, you know, a lot of this stuff and, and not to disparage them, but that is typically where we see some of this happening. And I know this just from the deep dive I did last night on all of this. And as you said, Dan, it is, it's going to be updated soon because it's, it's really breaking news, even though it's been out for a little bit. I think now all of a sudden, like the swell of news has hit because I think finally people are like, we can't, we can't not acknowledge this anymore. I think some offices, some corporations have tried to work with it and tried to suppress it and fix it on their own. And I think it's just too big of an issue. Basically, if, if there's any, outages that are going to happen anytime soon and around the time of this recording we're in mid-december it's probably related to something like this i would guess right it absolutely you know certainly could be that's what the news is telling me (laughs) yeah and this vulnerability allows them to come back in like i said and and propagate other viruses or other malware because they have access and control of your of your computer so this is the vulnerability what other downstream issues are happening because this vulnerability was available, you know, those are just multiplied out. You can't really tell. So they're dropping some of these time bombs that we were just talking about. Do you think that's happening? Or are they, why is it happening? Are they, is this a way for them to do more ransomware or are they just causing some chaos? It's, it's all the above. It's stealing your information, encrypting your drives and saying, hey, all of your Christmas pictures for the last 20 years, you know, if you want those, you know, give us a, a ransom. What they really, really, really want is data. You know, data, whether a complete or even incomplete medical record to include a dental record. I don't recall the, the study, but just as of a couple of years ago, they were getting somewhere around $145 to $165 for a complete record. Yeah, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was asking um, my husband about this. He's a certified fraud examiner. I think the number's now like 200. 
is what they're getting for a complete medical exam, a medical record. Um, and so $200 times thousands of patients in a healthcare setting. So listeners, what they do with that information is they use that to create claims. They use that to create identities. I mean, healthcare fraud and abuse, a lot of it is tracking down claim payments that these companies pop up and make a ton of claims to Medicare or government services using this information and they get paid and then they shut down and we're never going to see them again. And it's always a retroactive um, investigation on that point. But also the fact that they're setting up, and this isn't even healthcare, but just setting up fake identities, people getting identification, different ID numbers and all of that. So it's it's really fascinating, but seriously scary stuff that's out there. And so having a company, an MSP, that's constantly looking for that stuff. I mean, you guys were on top of this when it when it was breaking, but how often are things like this coming up that the general public really is unaware of? I mean, how often are you dealing with these types of patches that need to be put in immediately? Someone like me who's like, la, 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 wouldn't even know about it. <laughs> More than likely, unless it hits the news, you're probably not going to know about it. Everything from network security appliance. And uh, a network security appliance is the device between your internet router from Verizon, Cox, or Comcast, and your internal server and all of your computers. It's the device right there. And that needs to be updated and you know, make sure that that's updated on a consistent basis because that really is your first level of defense to all the evils of the internet. And so as there are patches or vulnerabilities found and there's software patches for that, those need to be applied first. Uh, then of course, any Microsoft security patch all of Microsoft's regular just operating system patches. Patching can protect you quite a bit, but security you know, can best be described as an onion. There are multiple layers because one layer is not going to protect you against all threats. Mm. Your network security appliance isn't going to protect you against everything. Your antivirus isn't. There is even advanced threat security software now that searches out for non- official digital signatures and software. So what that means is Java is made by Apache. Mm -hmm. They have a digital stamp on the Java software saying that this is an official piece of software. Ransomware, as you can imagine, doesn't have a stamp. Oh. And so now we have software that can just look for those digital stamps, genuine stamps. And if it's got a genuine stamp, then great. If it doesn't have a genuine stamp, we can quarantine it. We can identify whether it's a legitimate program or not. And if it is, great, we'll allow it. But if it's not, we want to uh, mitigate that from spreading as much as possible. So there are different levels all the way down to your two-factor and password complexity. You know, all of these different layers make up your overall security posture. So you can't be great on one and forget about the others. You can't be okay on two or three of them and disregard the other five. It's an overall encompassing ecosystem that you have to maintain. So talk to me then about the outsourcing slash uh, sending the person to work from home, because, you know, when I would bring this up on strategy calls, actually, let me just set the scene. So, you know, I would get a lot of calls from doctors that would say, okay, it's time to let Mary work from home. She's, you know, got aging parents, whatever. So I want to set her up for work from home. I'm just going to use log me in. And she's going to do work from home. She's going to be remote and all that stuff. And I would say, I'm not really sure that's the way to go. You know, I would say it nicely because I don't want to be like, no, there's the vulnerability, the patient information, but there's also the whole thing 
that I don't want to get into at all because it's too much, but the HR issues where who owns the information, who owns the computer that you do the work and are they doing work on an old computer that has no virus protection? You need to know that from an employer point of view, right? When I tell them that, you know, I really think it's a good idea for you to set them up with their own computer, I get a lot of pushback on that because they just simply don't think it's necessary. Now, in your case, because you are definitely into the safety of it, what is your conversation around that? And then I want to move to a step-by-step on what to look for and how to best set up this remote situation. That's an excellent question. And there are a handful of different directions on on going down and having that that conversation with your client. One of the biggest things or most powerful conversations, uh, parts of the conversation that I can have with them is that your network, you're asking a team member to go home and utilize their personal PC to connect to your business network. Now, let's say your body is your business network. You are asking some other device to inject itself into your vein and have basically control over your body. It can go anywhere because it's you're asking to connect to it. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's in the needle that you're putting into your body. You don't know if the needle's clean. You don't know anything about it. And that's the last thing you want to do because ultimately the provider has the responsibility to protect the patient health information and to protect the network. And during that investigation after the data breach, some of this information will come out and OCR and Health and Human Services are going to ask those questions. You allowed a remote employee to connect to your network, to your ecosystem. So our conversation with the doctor is, do we want to have this conversation after the breach where we're spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars because we had this, or do we want to put an asset in that office for your your team member that's managed by your MSP, that's up to date, that if a log4j comes out that needs to be updated with the Java, it's gonna get done and you're not assuming that your team member knows to do that, has the time to do that, understands the impact if they don't do that. We have the vast majority of our practices that have team members that work for home, I could just think of one that we had recently uh, that went on maternity leave and is going to stay at home for some time. We put in a network security appliance in their residence. We provided that team member with a, a laptop and we manage that. If there are any issues with it, you know, we're going to resolve those where you'll probably find that your MSP, if that team member that has their own computer that's connecting to your network, they're probably not going to want to touch that because there's a liability factor in that. And ultimately, the provider is assuming the liability by taking on that unsecure device and putting it onto their network. They wouldn't allow a patient to come in and hook a computer up in their office on an appointment. Why would we want a team member? And I'm sure all team members are great, but you know what's on their computers, we don't know what's happening. So, yeah, so I would say if... <laughs> If you're 100% sure that your family members don't go to questionable sites, I guess you can roll the dice, but I'm thinking a couple of the listeners here are like, uh, no, (laughs) No. I already know. I can't be on the family computer. So best practices then. Well, actually, before we get into that, my big issue with some of the outsourcing companies that are out there, the good ones that I like, I've asked about this, you know, how do you protect it? And they've mentioned network security access thing that you just said? Is that what you call Network security appliance? Network security appliance. I've heard this term because they've discussed it. 
I'm confident that they're doing a lot of this and trying to make sure that their people are being safe when they're logging into the office of software. But my problem with a lot of these companies is they open up and it's because they're using things like Windows to log in and log me in and all that. And they're using the same computer that they use for every other client that they have. And it's probably the computer that they do their work on if they're a small business owner that becomes that same situation that you're talking about. You're you're letting somebody else with possibly what, I love that you call it a dirty needle, with a dirty needle to come into the office to do the work. And I don't want to scare any budding entrepreneurs because I know a lot of you are thinking about doing this as a business, but you are then going to be held liable too because the doctor's going to the doctor's gonna get their butts handed to them, right? But who do you think they're going to come after? And if you don't have business insurance, I talked to one girl, she's doing this, she just set up her company. And I said, what's your business insurance? You have business insurance against this. She's like, oh, I need business insurance. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, so there's a lot there. So let's talk about if I'm going to outsource, what questions am I asking this company and how would you do it best? If you wanted to make sure that Teresa Duncan is protected, how would you do that? (laughs) Uh, A couple of different questions in, in ways. The first question, well, A, I would absolutely make sure that there is a BAA in place so that if there is a breach and it happened on their end, they're ultimately responsible and the BAA proves that. That's a business associates agreement. It's a HIPAA form. Uh, You basically are saying, I'm logging in, I'm safe. And that way the business owner, the dentist has this form that you sign that says that you're safe and you're trying to keep things kosher. Is that the function that you use it for? Yes. I used to provide that to my clients and they were always like, why do I need this? And I would say, just keep it. Just, just keep it. Yeah. So a little bit different on that. The, the BAA protects the provider if that associate uh, does something to breach the data or to breach uh, you know, patient information. Then it falls on that associate's responsibility to mitigate it. So let's say a uh, we take a server out of, a, of an office and we're driving back and we have to stop and get gas and the truck's st- stolen. Uh, if I have a BAA, it's Nova's responsibility to notify all of that provider's patients and say there's a data breach and it, it all falls on my expense. Right. Whereas if we didn't have that BAA, even though the server was in my truck that got stolen, it falls onto the provider. Right. So I would give this to the doctor and that would basically insulate them or at least show that they had taken steps to make sure that me as a vendor has appropriate steps in place. Now, the doctor's still going to have to deal with Absolutely. breaches. I mean, that's not that's not a get out of jail. It's just maybe hoping to lessen the brunt of it. Sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to make sure people understood what a BAA was. So after that, I would verify that the, the third party that Teresa has cybersecurity insurance. And we recommend at least $1 million. Okay. A, a million dollars is, with a, a normal breach, is possibly, hopefully, with our fingers crossed, going to cover it, depending on how many, how many records and if there was exfiltration. So my doctor, me, my doctor's office, has a million dollar cybersecurity or the vendor has a cybersecurity policy? If you're the doctor, you want the vendor. So oh, okay. you know, we carry well more than that, but part of our requirement is as you as the provider, you also have to carry that policy because ultimately the provider can't run off of the MSP's liability insurance. They really need their own in case they have a data breach from any you know, way outside of 
electronic way, maybe there's a data breach because of a physical security issue and the server was stolen, that's not going to fall down to anybody besides the doctor. Got it. Okay, good. And so they need that to, to mitigate those costs because, again, it'll be credit monitoring, notifying every patient, I believe, in, in systems of situations of 500 or more, they have to go on TV and, and promote it. All those costs add up. It's crazy. What he's talking about, guys, is if you're found to have not protected your patient data, you got to basically, it's a public hall of shame. You got to take out an ad. You got to let people know. You got to pay for credit monitoring for all those patients who not just were affected, but may have been affected. I mean, you it's a big deal to have been found in violation of a data breach. And we're seeing more and more investigations, more and more violations. And internally, we're, uh, as we mentioned, we're part of the Dental Integrators Association. And in some of those conversations, there was a bunch of CARES Act money. As Americans, we got a lot of money over the last year, and somebody has to pay for that. And the only way that the government generates revenue, or one of the only ways, is through these types of fines. And so we're seeing more and more of that, especially on you know kind of low-hanging fruit, uh, where you're not completely compliant. So if there's secure and encrypted email, or some of those items that you're not doing, you don't have in your office, I really encourage you to do that because we're just seeing more and more investigations and, and fines come out. Listeners, what you should also know, it's not just HIPAA fines, so OSHA fines. I mean, this is what happened. This has happened since the beginning of government. When you have the ability to fine, you have the ability to generate revenue. And that's just an unfortunate fact. It is what it is. It's not even politics laden. Both sides, I think, would agree with this. But I've heard from many of you that uh, OSHA fines and OSHA inspections are up. And that's simply a function of we need to generate more income. I mean, honestly, that's that's what it is. That's why they hire the inspectors. Go back an episode or two and listen to my interview with infection control expert India Chance because she gives you some guidelines on how to get through an infection control uh, audit should it happen to your office. And what she mentioned was very interesting is if you're going to be investigated for infection control, they're just going to slap on an OSHA audit at the same time because the inspector's going in there. So not only are you going to have some infection control issues, you're going to have OSHA coming in, um, which are two separate separate issues. So when you said that about fines, I had to say that because some people are thinking, oh, well, gosh, I just, I'll roll the, roll the dice. But the fines, the compliance, that's coming from all over. It's not just one section of practice management. You have to be really vigilant to make sure that you don't pay these fines. And that's why documentation, not just great with claims, but everywhere. Part of an MSP is that you keep this documentation for them, too. So that should an inspector come in and be like, pay me $10,000 per violation, you now have, no, 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 you don't need to do that. You just show them this. And, and that's the beauty of it. Oh, absolutely. And that's also you know, an aspect of working with an MSP that is managing your network that has complete control of all of your assets and all that information opposed to the IT guy <laughs> that, that, that you call them and email. I, well, that's what you were for years. To me, was the IT guy. Yes, I didn't know uh, that you were you were actually more than this. You never yeah. educated me. I just, you know, I said IT guy and you said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll take care of that. That's how it worked. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to make sure that they have uh, cyber insurance. This is, we're back to outsourcing cyber insurance. Um, the BAA is signed. What else are we talking about here? And this is uh, for our, our employees? Remote employees are hiring an outsourcing company. Yeah. You have to require that they use multi-factor on any system that you can have multi-factor in place. So, and actually say this a little bit differently. 
If you have multi-factor ability in any of your software, enable it. It's a pain. We have to have our phone. We have to look at those numbers every time we log in. Enable it. That will exponentially reduce your risks of if there's a data breach from Target and you're using the same password across all of your platforms, which I'm sure a lot of us do, and they have that and they use you know, Teresa's uh, username and they put in her Target username password and they're in. So use multi-factor. Multi-factor meaning the passwords? Multi-factor authentication, meaning that you'll type your password in hit enter, and then you'll have to grab a secondary device, let's say a phone, and there's a Google MFA or a 2FA uh, application, or they may just... Authenticator, I think is what it's called, yeah. Yes, or they may, you know, for Raymond James, they, they text me a, a, a specific, you know, code. So that two-factor helps ensure that you are who you are. You'll also know if there are attempts to be logged into that aren't working, you'll be notified for that as well. And it gives you a bit of a heads up uh, on that as well. Yeah. So don't steal my insurance queen one, two, three, four password, because I'm going to have two FA hooked up on that bad boy. Is that what you're saying? Yes. It was two, two E's in queen, right? <laughs> Darn it. Foiled again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I cut you off, but I wanted to make sure I always have to keep in mind, Dan, that there's people who are listening to this podcast that are like, six months in dentistry and sometimes they don't know all these terms that you and I bandy back and forth. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll try and use some others then. <laughs> really having the office have a, a home work security policy and talking about that multi-factor, that 2FA that we spoke about, maybe having a password manager, an online 2FA password manager so that uh, your team members could get that information, whether they're working remotely or they're working in the office. Certainly connecting them with a VPN so that it's a secure connection between your network security appliance and your remote team member. Those are all going to be some of those best practices. When they're done, log out, disconnect. You know, we can't, we don't want to stay connected to our office network, you know, and, and go have dinner and make dinner and spend time with the kids. We disconnect every time you're done because that open connection is a vulnerability. Okay, so let me put on my manager's hat now and say I have an employee I don't really like, but she's working from home and I know she's not doing what she says she does. So call her Sarah. So she is logged in from home. She says she's working all day. I don't see her computer is active. Can I see whether or not they're actively in the network and plugging away? Like she can't just log in in the morning and then go to Target. Right? Like, how does that work? Well, yes and no. Uh, she can log in, depends on, depending on your, your, your managed service provider. They may have tools. Uh, we have certain tools that we can help track employee productivity. And that's used from actual keystrokes and mouse movements and screen time in your application. So let's say Sarah's working in EagleSoft. It's not only going to going to be that it's in EagleSoft, it's we were on the account page for Teresa Duncan for 17 seconds, and then we moved to the patient chart, and then we moved here so that you're, that it's not just logging into EagleSoft and like you said, getting up and going and making breakfast and watching, watching the news. Yeah. So there are absolute tools that can ensure that your team is being productive and efficient 
I would also recommend that you don't have your team members that you would have concerns about being productive and efficient working from home. That is a good point, Dan. That's Management 101. I should have gone it from that point of view. But but I'll tell you, I was talking to uh, one of my long-term clients. We were just actually catching up. We weren't in a client call. And she said she really suspects that her insurance coordinator wasn't doing as much. The reason why she's not as productive is because she really just thinks she walks over and jiggles the mouse and then goes back to doing what she does because then it logs her as, you know, there's some activity and and she was using log me in. So basically it says keyboard mouse last active at what, blah, blah, blah. But she thinks all she was doing was just moving the mouse around because <laughs> she was do- not doing half of the stuff that she was supposed to have been doing on a regular basis. So, you know, there's some employees out there that are not always, you know, doing what they say they do. I know that's hard to imagine. <laughs> I'm sure all, I know my, all mine are and all yours are above reproach. Uh, <laughs> they do everything they said they're going to do. But and getting back to that question, when you get that pushback of the office providing the hardware for their team member, you can guarantee that that team member's doing the work when you provide the hardware because you can put those tools. You can't install a tool on you know, Susie's home computer. That's true. But you can absolutely install a tool to ensure that that team member's being efficient in, in getting their work done on a daily basis and have something you know actionable and accountable. Uh, so that is absolutely another area. So you're providing additional security to the practice because it's managed and it's secure. We're ensuring that the team member is efficient because we're monitoring what they're doing on a daily basis. Hopefully that team member is a happier team member because they're working from home and they're more efficient. Yes. You know, it's all in all a, a much better environment to be in than, than the latter. Well, and with the way the job market is, I know a lot of doctors are like, well, I want to keep her, but I don't know how to make sure that she's set up correctly. And that's when they, you know, do the, the log me in and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not bashing log me in. I just don't think it's adequate for what they need. And so... You know, it sounds like there's costs involved, purchase of a computer, purchase of MSP, a server uh, service like yours, but it's worth it to me. If I were a manager and I had a quality employee, it's totally worth it to me because finding somebody who doesn't have that office knowledge, that institutional knowledge of how the patients work, how my systems work, how, you know, what your expectations are, to me, it's worth it to let somebody work from home. That is a whole different conversation, a whole different podcast, but... I have seen lots of team members leave their jobs because they need to work from home. And had the doctor just been a little bit more flexible, I just think in a lot of cases it was a mistake. So, uh, you know, and, and I think there's a couple of people listening who they know exactly who I'm talking about because they're finding themselves looking for new jobs when they could have done everything, probably and more. They probably would have overcompensated and done more from home uh, than they were doing in the office. But again, separate conversation. I knew we were going to go longer. I always tell people 45 minutes and here we are. We're round in the bend at 50 minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I want to let people know how to get in touch with you. So I'll put all of that in the show notes. Tell people though your website and tell them why they should hire you. And then I'm going to wrap that up with why I think everyone should hire you. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we're Nova Computer Solutions. We've uh, March 1st will turn 22 years young, pretty much solely working in the oral healthcare vertical. Uh, 96 and change percent of our uh, clients are in one way, shape, or form a dentist. The rest are in the medical 
medical vertical with a, with a few outliers of construction companies and restaurants. Our, our focus is the oral health care community, and we do everything from new construction projects uh, when you're building uh, your office to all of your managed service, HIPAA compliance, data security, network security. I think those three items, HIPAA, data, and network security are the areas that we focus on the most. If we can get those areas secured and tight, everything else is relatively easy. We can make sure that Dentrix is working and Eaglesoft is working. It's just making sure that your team and, and your network and your data is secure and protected from all these real threats that are out there. Love it. So I'm going to put all of the links in the show notes. Now, just personally, Dan was our <laughs> IT guy, MSP. I didn't even know it. He was ours for years and years, and I left the office, obviously, to go do what I, I do. I've referred a lot of people over to him, never had a complaint, and you've just always done great service. So I 150,000% endorse Dan Services. So check out his website. He has uh, a newsletter. Check him out on LinkedIn because what you post on LinkedIn is a lot of this like cybersecurity stuff. I know some people think insurance is dry. Some people think cybersecurity is dry, but it's all super important. And I read a lot of those links that you post up there because I have no idea what's going on in cybersecurity and it scares the crud out of me. So I would love to have you on every year just so you can give us an update on what's going on. So uh, expect me to bug you about that. <laughs> And uh, we'll make it happen. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been so nice. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Always good to catch up with my friends. And dear listeners, you know, I am so, so grateful that you spend your time with me. And I will talk to you soon. We're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.